Hello and welcome to the latest edition of Business Leader Insight, brought to you today by our presenting sponsor, Nightstone Capital. Uh, Business Leader, for those that don't know, is the UK's leading B2B media platform and we have a print magazine, live and virtual events network and a website updated daily with news and insight. This live interview series is seeing us bring you inspiring business figures and for today's interview we are speaking to entrepreneur and health and wellness investor Lara Morgan. Welcome Lara, how are you today? Yeah, I'm good. Healthy, it's raining outside, get stuff done. <laughs> good stuff. Well, we'll, we'll crack straight into to the questions. I want to start by talking about your, your background, uh, Lara. I mean, can you talk to us through your early life? And I understand you were set to go to university but but following your father's bankruptcy this just didn't happen i mean that must have had a, had a big impact on you yeah i mean it's annoying at best i suppose <laughs> so born, I'm, I'm you know i'm very traditional brit i was born in germany to army parents ended up in hong kong very quickly thereafter with army parents uh, dad left the army there we got sent to school in scotland my parents clearly didn't like me um i probably wouldn't have liked me at that stage um and I went to school in Scotland for seven years, had a kind of education, wanted to do sports at Loughborough. That went tits up when my dad went bankrupt. And I got a job in Hong Kong, uh, had no sales training, no training in business, no qualifications, didn't even have my A-levels then. Started selling because I wanted to be a golf pro. So that was the plan. And that also went south. And I started selling, making money, fell in love with someone, worked in the Middle East for a while. And then ended up in UK at the age of 23 in 1991, where I had to kind of make a job as opposed to take a job because my skill was selling and there were no jobs. So I started selling what is now referred to as hotel amenities, but was basically then sewing kits and shower caps. Oh, no, great stuff. Um, and, and you started your first business, like you say, when you were sort of 23 and you, you eventually sold it for, for, for 20 million, which, which is on record. Um, what would you say were the key ingredients to building this business, Laura? Um, I mean, if, without any question, being a, an early stage entrepreneur is a huge advantage, particularly one that was as unqualified, um, unqualified, untrained, inept, uh, but also with humility and an ability to ask. So um, qualities that I think, you know, really a desperation to eat. I like food, but more importantly, you know, my only subject at school that I really liked was maths. Um, so I very quickly learned, you know, uh, a P&L and a balance sheet and, a, and taught myself some financial stuff about, and I already knew sort of profit and loss margins from trading merchandise items. And so I always really had finance at the heart of the business. But I think the other part was if you don't know, ask. And, you know, when you're 23 and you know nothing, you do a lot of asking. But actually the truth of that value is, you know, you're learning all of the time. So the other, I think, third quote, quote, quota of sort of need is a lack of, you know, a lack of embarrassment, a confidence about talking to strangers, um, a desire to learn all of those things from my sort of childhood traveling around the world on my own, you know, uh, um, and what a privilege that was. Um, but that kind of ability to, to have humility and frankly, to put out the begging bowl because I didn't know anything. And, I, and, and, and a huge advantage that when then you start employing people, they're all going to be better than you, right? They're all just going to be more qualified, more knowledgeable, more capable. And so that kind of huge power play of having great people helping me follow my values and my passion was kind of natural. And 
I think those are, you know, I look back and I just think I was so lucky. Hmm. And what, when you um, sort of sell the business, um, you know, what's it like to go through that kind of process? Because I, I, I guess there's a lot of paperwork. And that, but when you finally kind of signed, signed on the dotted line, what, what, what's that feeling that you have? Um, well, in my case, it was pathetic. Um, so very quickly, the sales process is misery. You know, you've never exited before. Everybody else in the room is the expert. Um, they do it all day. They're in mergers and acquisitions or you might, you know, we were doing both looking at a trade sale or, or, or private equity. I was 99% shareholder, which was, again, a mistake, but lucky in the end because it meant the only person that made the decisions is I could talk to myself and decide whether I liked the price. Um, and that cuts out a lot of anguish, I think. So, you know, for those that are single shareholders, which is quite rare, don't be afraid of holding on to your equity. But equally for those partners, be very aware that you can lose a lot of time and energy and actually somebody should lead the exit process. But that emotional roller coaster was something I failed to achieve in 2004. Completely disconnected outside of my control. Osama um, de Menezes got shot on the tube on the night I had my heads of terms to sell my business for 11.2 million. And because of that, the pension fund that was going to back us saw London as a risk city and the deal went away. So I failed in everything pretty much at least once. And then in 2007, I kind of had spent three years really teaching myself exit. And that is a whole nother ball game. And the only reason I could do that is because I had a world-class management team who I trusted and who were accountable and who reported. And candidly, you know, um, without them, I was toast. So, you know, when I exited, I, I shared out two million sterling. Um, which isn't on public record, but it's kind of something I talk about 10, 12 years later. But that was because I had not owned 99%, which was also wrong. Um, and then the night of the exit, miserable. Um, I think there were 17 people in the room. It took three hours and 48 minutes to sign the paperwork of nine country companies. I owned a factory in China, the Czech Republic. It was very complex. And then I found myself on a street with pretty much only taxis and totally empty um, city uh, area and it was deflationary, miserable. Um, yeah, bizarre. So, you, you, so that's interesting. So you, you didn't feel kind of elation to, to, to have done it. It was, it, was, it, was, it was a different emotion. Yeah, I mean, you're selling your baby, mm. you know. And, and honestly, you know, it, I, I still miss the team at Pacific. Um, I mean, the, the, day, the time you feel elation is at 3.31 the next day when the money hits the bank. Yeah, yeah. I, I have this. I had this ridiculous vision, and actually, I've been very lucky to de deliver on that vision. But I remember queuing at a bank, HSBC, and a nice young man said, "You know, madam, obviously looking at me, I was thirty-nine years old. I must look bloody awful because I was knackered." But um, you know, you can you can get your um, you can get your balance from the automatic machine. And I'm like, no, no, let me queue. I want to get the bit of paper. <laughs> And then the woman behind the counter who started writing on the number, having me pathetically queued up because it was my vision, her hands started shaking. And, and, you know, by then I was in tears. And she said, she said, is it a very special day? And I said, yes, it's a very special nation <laughs> of 17 years of sacrifice. And that is, you know, as a, an entrepreneur, you don't, you don't, many people don't look at the dragons and those roles and go, how many years did it take? How much did they give up? And actually, then it's worth it.
Mm. And just just on that point, there, you know, you, you talk about that sacrifice. What what did paying the price and sacrifice mean to you in, in achieving your goals? Oh, I mean, you know, on the bad days today, I'm an extremely lucky person. Um, you can't buy happiness, by the way. I I absolutely know that because I've now got more money than sense. Um, you can't even buy health for a lifetime. So. What you buy is the one thing in life that I think is the most valuable, which is choice and, and that security to make choices. Um, and I think that's the real underpinning. But the truth is, is you know, I sold it, I signed the documents at just the age of 40. And, um, oh no, I, yeah, I just turned 40. And, uh, you know, for the rest of my life, I can choose to be a miserable bitch from hell or be positive and I can add value and put back into my society or I can retire to a beach or I can find the balance somewhere in between and most importantly hopefully I can bring up decent children. Yeah fantastic Lauren and you, you did mention a little bit there in terms of exiting that there'll be a lot of people viewing that that may not have been through that process I mean what would be your key tip for for preparing a business for exit? I know each each one's individually different but but just just, just some tips that'd be great Lara. Oh, no, delighted. I mean, first of all, go on a mergers and acquisitions educational seminar where, in effect, you fake it till you make it, but you're in the room with the people that are the experts and you do some self-learning. I actually went to a course called Strategy is Destiny at, at um, Stanford, which changed my life. Um, but more importantly, read about it, learn about it, and then you know, really apply the time and the effort that you need to, to clean the skeleton. So if and when you choose to exit, and unfortunately there are people right now that aren't choosing to exit but need money, um, get the skeletons out of the cupboard and then get from a major group, you know, top three accountancy firm or otherwise, a due diligence checklist two to three years out. And in fact, today when I own businesses and I invest in businesses, we run a data room, which is the due diligence checklist in digital on in folder systems where you're all, always ready. You're always organized. The filing system is organized. I mean, you know, genuinely, we had to provide a, uh, a certificate for a fire hydrant on the various floors of our Chinese factory. That's, and you, and you go, we may not have done the deal had we not had the fire hydrant from the fourth floor. And it's just ridiculous. But I use that example as it's all of that, as well as pension records and P&Ls and balance sheets and, you know, management meeting notes and, and, and the due, due diligence checklist gives you the kind of moron's guide to a well-run business does this stuff. So I, we use that. No, great stuff there. And, and I know in, in your career, you've helped and, and talked a lot about scaling a business, um, which obviously, which is fast growth. I mean, what would you say are the key elements that, that make a scaling fast growth business stand out to one that doesn't? Uh, brilliant team culture an open team culture, a culture where everybody's in it to win it because they know the direction they're going in and they share the upside. So key performance indicators linked to role pro, well, role profiles lead, leading to key indicators leading to a reward system that is both individual and group. Because um, people, people do what they're rewarded to do. And those things are frankly a pain in the ass, box filling, chatty, stuff that I'm rubbish at, get an HR director in part-time, and then you top and tail, apply Pareto as much as you can, because most entrepreneurs are rubbish at filling in boxes. I am particularly rubbish. Um, what else? I think, you know, 
well-run businesses have a clearly defined sort of five-point strategy and everybody in the businesses knows what the point is. And through their key performance indicators and their roles, they know the part they play and they report against that. So, you know, that the importance of reporting against performance, which reminds me one of my companies is not doing it as well as they should. Um, you know, read books, read books relentlessly. There are, you know, you're then going to ask me great books and I'm thinking about Traction by Gino Wickman and I'm thinking about Rockefeller Habits and I'm thinking about literally immersing yourself also to be the expert in your industry. Um, because when you exit, there's a premium for how classy you are, the data you have, the knowledge that you bring, the USP, the unique selling point or your niche positioning, which we had a great niche positioning. Um, and, and you don't just produce those overnight. That is built in and, and the management team have to live and breathe it as well. You did just touch on there, but could you just expand on what, what does like, you know, employee motivation mean in, in practice? And what, what does a good business do? To, to, to motivate. I show you, it's quite, I mean, this sounds ridiculous, okay? And I was just thinking, okay, so here is a hand sanitizer. Actually, one of my businesses is selling these, but much more importantly, and my team probably won't be on this, but I hope some of them are. But um, the idea that I'm going to be sending this out in a care package, actually with a book that has just arrived, which I've bought 12 books, um, and some other stuff just to keep my team sort of uplifted is a tiny, small thing. But in it, everybody will get a personal note just to say, look, I am really grateful for you using your kitchen table. So it's from us, that thing to we have in our organization um, a chart which says, you know, would you prefer subscription to a magazine or a night at the movies? Would you prefer dinner with the wife or a voucher to take your husband jet skiing? I don't bloody know, right? Tell us at different price points what's the things that would give you joy that are customized to you and not generic. And I mean, it's good to do generic and, you know, you've got to do equality some of the time, but personalized notes, you know, interestingly, look, thanks loads, small notes. Um, you know, we, we have a brand called Centered that's seen lots of businesses send out really meaningful care packages and actually some bloody funny ones as well. Like, I had a guy buy quite a few escape kits and we put in a personalized note from the boss saying, you can't escape me. No, I know. I now know really where you are. <laughs> right. Because that is their culture and he knows he can get away with it. Um, and another lady, you know, she was saying, you know, just a delightful note, very private. Um, yeah. So I culture from the ground up on the way in an induction and, and, um, I'm in a recruitment process that is so rigorous and, and I didn't really run it unless it was the senior people because I'm not working with that person as the business gets bigger. You know, they're either joining sales or admin or finance. Why wouldn't that group employ that person and do the culture check? And not everybody's the same. So, you know, also get someone else from another department to go, could I work with this person? Stage one, mass and English test. Stage two, so very rigorous on recruitment. Um, and then, you know, again, we're doing it. My team are working so bloody hard and we're not getting together enough, but morning, you know, a morning coffee and encouragement at the end of the day to do a quiz. Um, I think there's going to be a lot more innovation about sending people out whiskey tasting packs. And I don't know, you know, I think there's stuff to do. No, great. Thanks, Lauren. I just want to talk now about leadership because um, we need it now more than ever. What, what do you think makes the mark of a good leader in business? Right now, 
very specifically fast decision making, uh, relentless focus around what's profitable, absolute clear direction on being allowed to not do stuff, stopping. Right. So it's kind of the stop bundle, the oh shit, let's do it later, and the now bundle. And I think that's a really good way of crystallizing it. Um, you've got to sing the DNA of the company. I just put out a notice to say, you know, A, thank you. And and B, can we keep doing this and can we keep doing less of that? And um I think genuinely, you know, I, I'm not an emotional bundle, but I certainly don't mind expressing my emotion. That's not with anger ever. You know, I have to be firm and fair. Consistency, no no favorites. If you make a, a rule for one, it's a rule, rule for all. Um, and today, you know, using Zoom and video and, you know, all the tactics that you can do to inspire, educate, set expectations and employ the best and frankly disregard the rest you know you decide you're going to be world class and then be rigorous about it and thanks for some good advice uh, there Laura and a lot of people reading this uh, will will be entrepreneurs successful ones and I mean what what advice would you sort of give to people who are going through a difficult time now it's so hard isn't it I mean I when Osama bin Laden rained on my parade and Prior to that, foot and mouth and SARS in Asia, you know, I felt like a flipping punch bag. I was then sued by a US company. That hurt. Um, it wasn't my fault and I won the case. But I think resilience, uh, you know, people are going to have to learn skills in resilience. So this is where, you know, back to focus. And, and don't forget things like a good night's sleep. You know, genuinely, um, I went, uh, you know, I've, I've, I've had some pretty lousy downs and I think being honest about that. So what else do I think? Listening to your employees more than ever, probably, because they're full of great ideas. And actually, you know, one of the things I wrote here that I wanted to say was, you know, adversity drives innovation, but not if you don't listen. Right. So you're not the only one with good ideas. I sure as hell aren't. But the other thing is, is that a kind of timely execution, diary management. I mean, this morning I'm on and up. I get up early and I work, but I've got so much done in the first six hours of today. I'm like skipping around the place. And, you know, then I can make time because finally I've been selfish and blocked time out. Yeah, from early this morning, but I choose to do that. That's my that's my time. And then the other thing is, is that, you know, this old fashioned saying, if you look after the pennies, the pounds look after themselves. So people should respect the stuff in the business, the sampling, the process, the time, the intelligence. So to scale. And to scale really quickly templates and frameworks, but also a culture that says you're not showing off, you're sharing and together we grow. So that's why uh, take advantage of, of all those sharing mechanisms. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it should be interesting. Though. In terms of your kind of typical working day, are you somebody who gets up early? Are you? Uh, yeah. yeah. What, what time are we talking? Not ridiculous. I mean, yeah. uh, 6, 6.15. Mm. I know. On a, on a bad patch, I, you know, I, frankly, I get bored of sleeping by about 4.15 and then I think, cobblers, I'll do some work and do some exercise and then back to work. And then I'm so ahead by midday, I'm like, bring it on. Um, and actually also, I think, you know, even if you're an early bird, you ebb and flow. So I'm very disciplined. I try not to drink too much coffee. I use my scented product to give me a lift after lunchtime with a bit of focus. Um and actually, I also use sort of afternoons and later evenings to talk to people, to see how their day's gone, to check in with, you know, stuff that, to get ready for the next day. I'm a relentless list writer. 
but I'm also totally flexible and trusting of my team. Right? This nonsense that people can't be trusted. If they're people that can't be trusted and you have any doubt, they shouldn't be in your business. Mm. You know, they shouldn't be in your mindset. And it's very quick to work that out. Um, you know, you don't need a checking up system and a sign-in documentation. You need trust. Mm. Uh, thank you, Laura. Some, some really, really candid and, and interesting uh, answers there. They're, they're the questions from me. So we'll take some uh, from our viewers now. Um, we've got one come in uh, from Emma, which is, do you think it's an employer's obligation to look after their employees' mental health? Um, so she who's got broken glasses. Um do I think it's their obligation? I think it's their obligation to give everybody a workspace and a workplace that is motivating, enjoyable, educational. Um, I think fast moving is better because actually, genuinely, if you have the choice not to work, um, great. But actually, there are long days. And if you're having fun and you're innovating, the day goes quicker and then you can go off out for a bike ride or whatever. Um, so in answer to the question, do I think it's everybody employee? I don't think it is directly, but I think how we treat our employees, um, how we talk to them, how we grow them, how we challenge them, how we also put them in uncomfortable places, which might seem stressful or you know anxiety creating, like getting somebody who wouldn't necessarily want to do a public speech or present. Tough shit, right? This is the grown up big world and we talk to each other and we have to do scary stuff. So I think there's boundaries and I think some people are asking too much because a leader can't solve every problem for God's sake. You know, I, you, we have to, we're adults now. And I think there's a balance and I think it's a very, very difficult one, but I, you know, I'm, I think there are a lot of things you can do to help. Thank you, uh, Lara. Um, what advice do you have for leaders who have had to close their businesses during COVID-19? Capture everything that was great that you learned. Um, I mean, actually, at the very beginning of COVID, I've started writing. I started writing. I have a Word document that's running. It's absolutely ridiculous um, because it's jumbled and it just has opportunities. And it's the stuff that has come to me that's that kind of good idea. Leave it later. You don't have time. So if you're starting from scratch again, really, really review. What do I love doing? What am I good at? It's like the child conversation that I'm having with my teenager who's leaving. You know, one's going off to university. The other's going to new. You know. What are you following that is your passion that you love to do? What's, what's giving you lifetime infectious desire to crack on and grow stuff and to earn a good living and to move up a greasy pole and to have laughter at work? Um, so when you're then up shit creek and, and hopefully you're going to start, you, you know, you're going to start again, or maybe you're going to go, enterprise isn't for me. Well, that's fine too, because there's 54% of British people who say they'd like to be an entrepreneur and they never start. And that's because it's very tough. It's very lonely. It doesn't need to be as lonely as today when I began, because there are clubs like the Supper Club or um, YPO if you're big enough and um, EO and uh, Founders Forum. I, there's a million business environments that you should get involved in if you're leading because you shouldn't do this alone. And then, yeah, no, I mean, you know, have a break, take a holiday take a walk on the beach genuinely because if you've been battered and you've lost things and you've really lost you need to give yourself a little bit of time I mean it took me I would say more than more than time that anybody would believe from recovering even the very successful sell of Pacific Direct because it was emotional mm. 
No, thank you, uh, Nella. I've got a question from uh, Stephen Chan. Uh, what keeps you motivated and hungry in life and business? I'm a competitive little sod. Um, I like to see building. I like building stuff. I'm interfering old witch who likes innovating and you know improving product. I love you know I've got. <laughs> I am ridiculous. I like you know we've invented this Union Jack um, sports bag with kit bricks and. I'm a massive nationalist. So, of course, we've now made the Stars and Stripes one. And I just love seeing that bring joy to people. And, you know, centered is a real passion. You know, you, I've put the sign in the background because this is, you know, mindful well-being, the idea that you can have a mini pocket, you know, product that is aroma three, aromatherapy and natural and, and mindset changing. And it, and it just brings genuine care and it's immediate and it's lifestyle. And yet I've got Yogi Bear who are, you know, I'm learning stuff and she's teaching me that you can build an entire balance sheet on a bloody Instagram picture. So also the motivation comes, you know, I'm not, I'm hungry for success. I'm not hungry. I mean, in fact, the last thing I am is I'm not, you know, I eat too much, but um, I love life. I want to learn. I want to, I want to do cool stuff. And I, I still want to be better than last time because I've learned so much and I was, you know, we did well and, you know, owning 99% of 20 million wasn't bad, but, I want to share more, and then I want to change the world. No, thanks, uh, Lara. Uh, good question. What's the best advice you've ever received, Lara? Oh, oh, I know. Um, when I was uh, a lot younger, like, you know, uh, maybe 26, 27, going to – I used to get invited to these um, hospitality business dinners, you know, and I'd be sitting on – I'd be the only business leader on a table, and there'd be 11 men and me. Um and, you know, first of all, I'd be talked down to, which was stupid because they assumed because I was the woman, I was someone's EA or PA. And then they realized that actually I had my own little show. And then what was bloody brilliant, because we were very fast growing, um, is I'd win an award and I'd come back to the table and get, suddenly I'd be treated with respect. And the best advice I was given by those guys who I still paid respect to was don't miss your children growing up. So I worked a life. I didn't get the balance right all of the time, but it was there were definitely a lot of people I came across who genuinely didn't know their teenage children, didn't know their adults and didn't have a relationship with their kids. And I think it passed them by. And I think you can today work, you know, I worked at night, but I did bedtime and bath time and book time. If I could, I did travel too much, but I was in the bloody hotel industry. You know? And technology didn't exist like this then. And I, I think the best advice that I would, give is is don't miss your children growing up because you can have it all it's very hard work and you can sleep less but there's too much of the important stuff in life of why we do what we do and i'm very proud i'm you know i'm i'm celebrating my uh 25th wedding anniversary in a few days time so. yeah, congratulations thank you and i think yeah we have what, uh, another question what is one thing about you that people won't be able to find online laura cool. um I mean, I'm sure there's lots. Um, what won't they find? God, you know, I'm such an open book. I'm such a wet drip. Um, I mean, you know, I'm I'm I come from a military background, and I'm pretty clear about health and well-being. And certainly, what they won't know is is that you know, I I don't make the wealth to give to my family. I kind of have a family pot. And my girls know they get nothing. 
um, they actually believe it goes to the roof of Salisbury Cathedral. But that is in the public domain. It's not true, by the way. Um, some of it does. I just like the building and I live near it. Um, what won't they know? I think probably that, you know, if my kids smoke, they get no money. They get nothing. They don't. <laughs> Why is that? Because my dad died of COPD and I just thought, bugger you, yeah. you know, why should they do the same? So, you know, my my book is um, more balls than most, not because I have more balls than most, but because my father-in-law died of prostate cancer. So in everything I do, I try and get double. You know, I have dry robe, this amazing investment in an outdoor robe. And Yogi Bear and Kit Bricks and others complement that. And I'm always looking for the double whammy, I guess, is something people won't know. No, thanks, um, Lara, and thank you uh, again uh, for your candor today. That, I mean, that, that, that's the question. A any final thoughts? Um, I think, you know, the answer is, is my dad brought me up to remain positive. And I think your positivity can be infectious and you should give and get in life. You know, I, I hope that anybody that hears me uses my discount code and says, you know, she gave a little bit of time, a little bit of thought, and I did. And if you pay me back by buying one of my products, great. You should always be selling. That's the one thing I would say about business leadership. If you're going to represent a product and you're going to have passion in a business to do the right thing, then always be selling because you've got nothing to lose and everything to gain.